Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining the Data Binge podcast. The title of today's episode, number one, is The Evolution of the Data Platform. I'm your host, Derek Russell. I'm currently a solution specialist for Microsoft's enterprise data and AI solution area. I'm having so much fun here. It's such an incredible job, and I get to work with really, really awesome people. Today, we have Derek Heckemeyer on the podcast, a colleague of mine and a great mentor supporting the same solution area, and he's got a lot to share with us. The Data Binge podcast is a series of interviews that I hope to have once or twice a month with colleagues and professionals that I work with here at Microsoft who really understand the need for big businesses to leverage the power of their data estate. The talks are really intended to provide perspective on how Microsoft is positioning its cloud, AI, machine learning, and other really cool data-driven tech in different industry verticals. So if you're an employee, customer, or tech enthusiast, competitor, you're going to be super pumped to listen in. Please feel free to reach me on LinkedIn or at D-R-U-S-S Network, D-R-U-S Network on Instagram or Twitter. This is a personal thought forum where we are sharing knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of our employer, Microsoft. So let's get started. Derek Heckemeyer, good to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, today we wanted to kind of talk about uh, your experience here at Microsoft, what you're, you're seeing uh, enterprise customers doing in the enterprise data warehousing, database space, how they're moving into the cloud, and a little bit about the evolution of the data platform. So uh, you're, you're definitely a, a seasoned digital agent and digital advisor for your customers. You've done a really great job here at Microsoft. So we'd love to just kind of dive in and see what you can, uh, you can offer us. Well, thanks. Yeah, they, uh, they've allowed me to keep my job for seven years. So I guess <laughs> I've done a few things right. Appreciate it. Yeah, you know what? I knew you were the perfect one to go to to start engaging uh, in this podcast when you told me, I think it was last December, and I just got hired in June. And uh, I was like, hey, you know, people are taking vacation. It's about it's Christmas time. What should I be learning right now? What should I be consuming? Are there white papers? And you told me, dude, you need to take five days off grow a freaking beard, bake a dozen cookies, eat them all at the same time, watch Star Wars or Lord of the Rings trilogy end to end. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this guy, right. this guy knows what's going on. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So yeah. what do you, what, what have you been up to at Microsoft? Can you give us an intro about, you know, who you are? Yeah, no, thanks, Derek. I, so I've been in the technology industry for, Oh my gosh, going close to 23 years. Um, working at Microsoft was always a, it was a, it was a dream. It was a goal of mine to have achieved it, to ha have an opportunity to have a career here has been really awesome. I've been with the company, like I mentioned, um, a little over seven years. Um, I've seen a lot of changes, both in terms of the industry, but also the organization. I've had uh, various data platform roles while I've been at Microsoft and I've covered both enterprise customers at a very deep level. Um, and I've covered mid market customers at a very wide level. Um, I've seen us grow from a company that I, in my opinion was really focused on how do we get customers to buy more licensing to a company that's really focused on how do we really help customers fundamentally transform their business and disrupt their industries. Um, and it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time to be here. And I feel like uh, being on the kind of the front end of, of data and artificial intelligence, it, it's really exciting because companies are realizing, hey, technology can help us create new revenue streams, 
Uh, it can help us create competitive differentiators. It can help us create barriers to entry for others or help us get over a barrier. Um, so it's really a great place to be. That's awesome. And then you kind of have exposure to a lot of the other businesses that are out there, the Oracles of the world, the Amazons, and of course at Microsoft. And you know, you've been doing some stuff before you came to Microsoft. So how do you think Microsoft is, is positioned here uh, to be the most helpful for our customers um, from your point of view? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, when I first started at Microsoft... I, you know, maybe it was just my impression, you know, I, I don't know how much of this was a real thing, but I felt like a, a lot of enterprise customers really didn't, in a lot of ways, take Microsoft very seriously. You know, we, we were just the company that they went to to buy Windows and Office. Um, typically, we dealt with, you know, people in just in IT or maybe even just in procurement, vendor management. That was sort of how we reviewed and customers like companies like SAP and Oracle and Salesforce um, were were considered to be much more strategic in nature than Microsoft was. And in fact, I heard those comments all the time. I heard from people say, "Hey, you guys are just a tools company. That's all you do." Um, fast forward to now, right? And we leapfrogged a lot of those companies in a lot of ways. Microsoft is strategic. I mean, when I look at the landscape of uh, from a technology standpoint, I mean, I, I I feel like our you know our in my opinion our biggest competitor is Amazon, and let's face facts. I mean, they're doing a really good job, but there there cannot in my mind be a single enterprise co- company out there that wouldn't seriously or shouldn't seriously be looking at Microsoft as a strategic partner, especially as they you know are beginning to innovate. And beginning to realize how the cloud is going to help them do that. That's that's great input. And then it's it's crazy because we look at uh, you know the last uh, quarter's performance in Azure, and I think we experienced ninety eight percent growth. And then you're you're hearing all these these things on earnings calls, where CEOs are starting to talk about you know getting Amazon and this big disruption thing, and and uh, they're I think they're starting to call it retail retaliation. You have these big customers like the WalMarts of the world that went over to Azure just because. Why would they want to give their data to Amazon, uh, a big competitor? Yeah, for for sure. You know, I I, uh, I was I had a conversation recently um, with a customer who they, they're they're an Amazon shop, and up to this point, I don't think they had really seriously considered Microsoft. And we had a frank conversation; it had nothing to do with technology. When it's all just about the differences between our two companies, right? So, Amazon is disrupting marketplaces in all kinds of industries, including the marketplaces at times of the customers that are using their cloud services. Uh, Microsoft is not in that business of disrupting other marketplaces. We're in the ability of, you know, we're in the business of providing a platform that enables our customers to innovate, that enables our partners to build really interesting solutions that our customers can use. Um, we are a technology company. That's, that's what we do. That's what we know. Uh, we're not interested in figuring out how to deliver groceries to your door with a Microsoft brand name on it. We're interested in helping our partners and our customers build solutions on our platform to do that. Um, I, 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 in my opinion, any company that's doing business solely with Amazon should be evaluating, you know, do we need to have a two cloud strategy? You know, what is fundamentally different between what Microsoft offers me and what Amazon does? That should be, in my, that should be a, 
a conversation every customer should be having and we should be front and center for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you said, I think the magical golden word of 2017, uh, I think uh, it, it will probably be the same magical word for 2018, the cloud. So, you know, and you've mentioned there's a lot of changes in the industry and a lot of changes at Microsoft moving from a company that's, that's procuring licenses to a company that's empowering every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. Um, so, you know, what are businesses doing with these on-premises databases like SQL Server? Um, I know that you've kind of been a digital advisor for helping businesses, you know, acquire a SQL Server, um, add them into their enrollment agreements and move forward with those different technologies. But now we're starting to help customers flex into Azure. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what that legacy system SQL Server looks like, SQL Cal, all these different things, and what it's looking like in 2018 as we're helping businesses prepare to flex that stuff into Azure? Yeah, that's a good question. And actually, very timely question. I, I literally was just talking to a company this morning um, who is in that spot. So um, we, Microsoft, changed SQL licensing about six years ago when we released SQL Server 2012. I was one of the people that, that was on the front lines explaining it to customers, not only how it was going to work, but why we were doing it and how it was going to impact them long term. And, you know, some companies jumped on the bandwagon to change licensing pretty fast. Others have taken time. But the message then, and it's still the message now, is, you know, we recognize that, you know, from a data center standpoint, you 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 already are in highly virtualized models or you're going to be. And we want to enable you from a licensing standpoint to do that. But more importantly, long term, we know that you're going to go to the cloud. Even if today that doesn't seem possible, it's going to happen because at some point it's going to become obvious that that is the right thing to do for your business. And so we want to give you a licensing model that is going to align to that. Those are the conversations we were having six years ago. Now, if I fast forward to today, how that is actually manifesting itself, um, I'll give you a, a couple of examples. I mean, number one, companies that have moved from a server cow to a core licensing model um, not only have obtained, you know, in some cases, some really great new virtualization rights um, to be able to flatten out their spend on data over time, but more importantly, when it comes to moving to the cloud, the ability to bring your own license to Azure or for that matter to Amazon, we enable that through license mobility, uh, through um, software assurance. We are, Microsoft is actually going to be releasing a new service, a new platform as a service offering called SQL Managed Instances within the next, uh, I would say, quarter. And customers who have core licensing with SA are going to be able to get a pretty significant discount on this service. Um, it's going to be, uh, in my mind, a big game changer for customers who have wanted to really think hard about moving out of their data center and into the cloud but I've wanted to figure out how do I do that in a way where I can significantly reduce the amount of administration that I have to do on SQL Server. I can't tell you how many customers that, that I've talked to over the years who have substantial SQL environments and a lot of is antiquated, legacy applications that are still running SQL 2005, for example. I see it all the time. Um, this new service is going to support customers 
who have SQL 2005, who have SQL 2008, who don't want to or can't afford or it doesn't make business sense to remediate in order to move to a more modern architecture. Um, this new service is going to remove all the administrative um, responsibilities a customer has, like patching and tuning and upgrading. Um, we will own it all and they will not have to upgrade. It's literally going to be a lift and shift motion to the cloud. Um, and from a cost standpoint, very nicely enabled by core licensing with SA. So we've seen customers making that transition from the old server cow model to cores over the last few years. That's going to be a major reason it benefits them. And then you talked about enrollments and flexing. The other thing is, is we're, we, we realize as a company that our customers want to have flexibility in terms of how they use data and where they use the data. And I think, in my opinion, we've done a really good job the last couple of years of getting creative about constructing enrollments to help them do that. So realizing that customer's not just going to turn a light switch on and off and they're going to go from being on-prem fully to, to Azure the next day or to Amazon or whatever that is. I mean, it's not going to happen. And we've come up with agreements that offer some flexibility to enable them to do that over time. Um, it's, uh, I, I really feel like we're responding very well to customer needs and the demand of our marketplace, uh, both from a licensing and enrollment standpoint, and not to mention the actual services that we're releasing. Um, I think a lot of companies, uh, if they haven't looked seriously at the cloud or data in the past, they will now. That's, that's awesome. That's a really great uh, perspective. It seems like a lot of our customers have, uh, the goal to get completely into the cloud or into completely into the multi-cloud uh, infrastructure by 2020. And you mentioned, you know, all the, the good things that come along with this PaaS service, this, this, this managed platform as a service where we're, we're kind of managing all the backend uh, architecture and, and administration. Um, yeah, I, when talking to customers, I frequently hear, well, you know, what's your, let's see the TCO calculations. Let's see the total cost of ownership and compare it to what we're doing today on premises in SQL Server or Oracle, what have you. And let's compare that to what we're doing in Azure. Hey, it's not too much different. Why should I move? But then in the same conversation, we'll be talking to the same infrastructure folks at the end of the conversation and they'll say, well, you know, 90% of my database architect's time goes into security and patching and replacing drives. And it's just crazy to hear in one, in, you know, in one sentence, you know, it doesn't make sense because the difference and the cost difference is that not that much, but in the same sense, they're saying 90% of my people's time are being spent in doing all this administrative stuff. How do you get around? And there's obviously a cultural change there. How do you get around this cultural aspect of, Hey, I'm going to be losing my job if, if Microsoft or Amazon or Google are managing my databases and infrastructure. Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I, you know, I think, um, generally speaking, this is not, this is not going to be a surprise. I mean, customers and people that work for those companies are naturally afraid of change. That is just, that's a normal human dynamic. And so I think we have to understand as sellers to some extent that we have to manage that fear and that uncertainty and that doubt, right? What we refer to as FUD. I mean, some of it's real, some of it's imagined, and we have to help a customer work through the process. I think just in terms, thinking about it in terms of, of the data landscape, um, you know, and in, in, in the way customers utilize their resources, a couple things come to mind. Number one, if I just think about the people aspect of this, a database administrator who maybe has been doing that job for a long time 
um, yes, they could feel threatened, but more than likely, they're also they also have additional skills, or they're very capable of learning new skills. And in my opinion, anybody who works at a company for any length of time um, probably really wants to provide value to that organization. And I think that that moving more to a platform as a service model and removing some of those sort of legacy responsibilities around administration and patching and what have you gives people that are in that those roles an opportunity to learn new skills, an opportunity to provide more value to, to their business, an opportunity to be more relevant than just the guy that keeps the lights on or the gal or the gal that keeps the lights on. I mean, I think just from a cultural standpoint, it affords that opportunity. Um, secondly, from a business innovation standpoint, um, it's really, really, really clear to me, especially at Microsoft, that we can provide the most value to our customers, the most business differentiation, the most ability to, for them to innovate and transform the way they do business and disrupt their marketplace by getting their data in Azure. Because once we get their data in Azure, it lights up so many scenarios around machine learning and artificial intelligence and all kinds of things that we're working on right now that aren't available today, but will be available in the near future that are going to just fundamentally change the way companies do business. That only happens if they put their data in our cloud. And, and so to me, it's really twofold. It's about getting more value from your own people. And it's about getting more value from your data, both of which come by putting your data in Azure. That's incredible. So, and I think you're, you're really talking to a pretty fantastic point here where a lot of people miss things. And I think maybe it's, do you think it's because, hey, we're going to, you know, Microsoft has these legacy partnerships, strategic partnerships with traditional IT, which doesn't really care about the, the business intelligence, machine learning line of business kind of facets of what they need to be doing in terms of the company's initiatives. And then you have the folks in marketing and operations and, uh, you know, human resources that do care about those things. So it's now like a double thread conversation, right? Where we have to kind of manage the relationship with IT and then manage a relationship with the line of business. Um, how are how are you doing that? Well, so I guess for, first thing I when I hear you say that is, you know, I, I've been here just long enough that I remember what it was like when we just talked to people in IT only. People in the business didn't see and understand why they should be talking to Microsoft. And if we were able to talk to somebody in, in a business area, they typically <laughs> redirected us to IT. Um, what we've realized over the years, though, is more and more um, technology um, is such a big part of companies' growth and transformation. And people in the business understand that. And so they, you know, I think give IT the benefit of the doubt at first to be able to enable them. That's what IT is supposed to be doing is enabling the business and helping it grow and transform. But that if IT wasn't doing that, if IT was going to be a roadblock that the business was going to figure out how to do it themselves. I mean, it's the reason why Amazon grew as fast as they did, right? Is because they work directly with people in the business. Um, and I think that Microsoft is seeing the same thing. We have more relationships with people in the business than we typically do. Having said that, classically, Microsoft is a technology company. I mentioned it earlier. I and mean, we have a long, good, you know, 
relationships with people in IT. And I think that we have to be very um, mindful about respecting those relationships. And I think that the way we do our jobs and the way we can do them best is when we help bring IT and business together, right? So I think we've earned the right by this point when we're working with IT to be able to say, hey, you know, you're trying to help the business. We're trying to do the same thing. We want to be respectful of the relationship that we have with you, but also respectful of your relationship with the business. And so we, we would like to bring all parties together to make sure we're, you know, dancing on to the same sheet of music, right? Um, and I think that we've gotten very good at doing that. And I think the other part of it is we've also, because of our longstanding relationship with IT, um, we've also earned the right to be able to say to somebody in the business, hey, I respect the fact that you that you have come to us directly. And I also respect the fact that you might be frustrated with IT, but we have relationships there and we would like to try to smooth those over if we can. And, and I think the most successful engagements, the most successful stories that we've had with our customers have been when we have both business sponsorship and IT sponsorship in the same room uh, with the same goals and, and aligned. And, and, I, and I feel like uh, we just have to be very cognizant, cognizant of that at all times. That's, I mean, that's exactly what I was going to uh, ask a question about. I mean, managing that relationship, it seems like you've been able to do that super well. Um, you know, what, what kind of things usually come up? And I mean, I hear this all the time where line of business is kind of complaining about IT. IT is kind of complaining about, hey, you know, line of business has these crazy initiatives that just aren't possible from a security point of view. Um, what's the best way to kind of go about um, approaching, uh, you know, the line of business operations, you know, we've said it before, uh, uh, human capital development, kind of how do you how do you pitch this digital transformation story to them in a way where we're not being salesy, we're not trying to push a bunch of initiatives that aren't going to help them, but we, we can kind of see things from the ground level because we have those relationships with IT. We understand how important data is. You know, how do you get over the, oh, well, the micro, Microsoft is here. They're just the IT folks. We don't need any more Outlook licenses. <laughs> Very relevant question. I mentioned earlier that when I first started at Microsoft that, that we, we heard those statements made. I mean, those, that's a real thing that actually happened. It probably still happens today, but I, I'm certain it's significantly less than what it used to be. Um, I guess the way I would answer it is this. When we first started talking about the cloud to our customers, eh, probably in the last four or five years, you know, there weren't a lot of success stories of companies using the cloud especially not Microsoft's cloud at that time. And so a lot of the, a lot of our discussions at that time was painting a vision of, you know, the art of the possible. You've probably heard people say that. Um, we still do that. The difference is we now have a lot of really successful examples of how the companies taking advantage of using Azure has fundamentally changed the way they do business right? We have a lot of those and we continue to have more of those by, on an industry by industry basis. And so to me, at this point, any company you're talking to about using Azure is not going to be probably not treading new ground. They're probably going to be following in the footsteps of another corporation, another organization that's already made a decision to use Azure and has already received tangible business benefits from that. And we are able to talk about those 
uh, with our customers to help them understand how will we connect the dots for you. It, it's crazy. I just just in the past, you know, six or I think almost ten months now since I've been with the with the company, I've seen the the customer success storyline changing so fast, and how you know. I, I don't know how Microsoft was telling stories five years ago, but it seems like something that we're really getting a lot better at. Um, so you mentioned doing an experiment where you you called a, you know around to different leaders, account executives, and account team leaders throughout the country to kind of figure out what was going on in, in the different spaces, who what kind of customers were utilizing the cloud. Can you kind of tell us a little bit more about what you learned there? Yeah. So yeah, happy to do that. I, I was. Uh... I'm one of those people that is always trying to learn from the experiences of others. Um, I, I, I like data. I like, I like crunching information. It's probably why I enjoy the role that I have. I mean, that's just sort of what I like to do. And even in my own personal life, don't even get me started on fantasy football. Um, I, um, I was curious about a year ago about what is actually happening across the U S with other people who have similar role to mine in terms of what are they doing with their customers and what are they seeing? So I, I, I reached out to kind of like the top 100 account, top 100 customers in terms of Azure usage. I I reached out to people who have roles like mine and account managers just to find out, you know, what is, what sort of correlations are there out there? Um, in terms of either industry or in terms of solutions or, you know, whatever. I mean, I didn't, it's, it's to some extent, I didn't even know what I was going to find out. I just wanted to ask questions. And I guess I wasn't really super surprised to learn that from an industry standpoint, uh, most of the top customers were either in, you know, manufacturing, either process or discrete manufacturing or distribution. And I'm not surprised because a lot of those are uh, com- organizations are ripe for uh, the Internet of Things. Um, they don't have the some of the um, industry blockers around security and privacy that you might find with financial or, or healthcare uh, industries. Um, and I, you know, I, in large part, I think a, a lot of a lot of our uh, biggest customers are in those spaces. But what I also found is that there are there were companies in healthcare. There were some companies in financial services um, who were starting to look at Azure for specific use cases. And I thought that was a really good sign, right? Because for a long time, it didn't seem like we were ever going to be able to crack that marketplace. Probably not a surprise that when Microsoft reorganized last summer, that we made a, a decision company-wide to create organizations who specialize in financial services and healthcare. The company sees the same thing that I saw when I went and looked at the data. Um, I, I, in my opinion, in my opinion, um, going through that process of having people focus is probably going to accelerate the usage of the cloud because we're going to be able to be more relevant in terms of their businesses and understanding how we can add value. So that, that domain experience is, is super important, uh, based upon all the industries that you're kind of starting to engage with then. I think it, I think it helps. I'm not going to say that it's absolutely critical and I'm not going to say that it doesn't help. Uh, what I think from our perspective is most important is being able to understand how a company can use their data to get smarter about their business, to take better action, 
to gain more insight and how we can enable that. And then how by enabling that it, it creates transformation, right? So I mentioned the fact that we now over the past few years have had a lot of really interesting success stories with notable companies who have taken us up on that journey. And I think as a seller, being able to not only tell that story, but to be able to help a customer connect the dots between what are they doing as a company, what sort of challenges do they face in their industry, and what has Microsoft been able to enable in other companies that have had similar challenges, being able to tell that story and explain the business value, I think is the most important thing. Certainly the business domain uh, knowledge is extremely helpful, but luckily, we have lots of people at Microsoft who has business domain knowledge that you can lean on. I think the biggest thing you can do is understand what business value are we driving that will resonate with my customer. And a lot of the leadership team, I think they, we, we hear it all the time. It's like, what are you doing right now to, tr- to transform your customers? It's, it's such a, a refreshing thing to hear when leadership is saying that. Like, how are you transforming this customer? How is this changing their business? You've said it the best way. We're a partnering company and our success depends on the, upon the success of our partners. That's awesome. So what about your future plans? I know we're kind of running out of time here, but you're an incredible uh, senior digital consultant for Microsoft. You have a really great breadth and, and a lot of depth behind how customers can leverage the power of their data state. What do you have coming up next for you? Yeah, you know, I, I, think, um, I think artificial intelligence is fascinating um, I like what I do. I think I'm, I feel really fortunate to not only, you know, have the opportunity to work at Microsoft, but also to have the role that I do and to get to talk to the customers about the things that kind of fall into the data and AI space. I feel like we're more and more uh, kind of on the front lines of, of, of driving digital transformation. Um, I guess for me is just to continue to to learn and grow and find more opportunities to really get deeply engaged with customers and their businesses and and to drive long-term success and be able to say that I had a, that I had a stake in doing that. Um, and, you know, and on a, on a personal note, I, I do really love gaming and entertainment. Um, I think it would be really cool at some point in the future to take some of my, my experience at Microsoft and the, and the knowledge that I've gained uh, and maybe figure out a way to, to work my way over to the consumer side uh, of the business at Microsoft in some way, shape, or form. But right now, I am really just focused on how do we use data and AI to, to fundamentally change a company and the way they do business. I, I think it's really exciting, and I, like I said, I feel very lucky to be able to do it. But really, you just want to play Minecraft and Halo all day. Uh, you know what? If I could figure <laughs> out how to get paid playing Halo, Derek, that, that would be the fantasy <laughs> right there, my friend. That's awesome. Well, hey, Derek, I, I think you've been an a, a, a awesome guest today on the podcast. Really appreciate your uh, personally how much you've helped me. Uh, you've you've been you know my a mentor to me in terms of how to figure out what's going on at Microsoft and how to be more as transformational as possible to my customers. So, really appreciate you coming on. You uh, no, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I I, I enjoyed it and. Uh, uh, you're you're doing awesome. You're going to continue to do awesome, and uh, hopefully uh, get a chance to join one of your po- podcasts again in the future. Yeah, maybe then we'll talk about margaritas and Lord of the Rings. You know what? That can be the next topic. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care.